The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I am joined as always by my co-host up in the city of brotherly love, Chris Smalls Angelos. And Smalls, before I throw it to you, you kind of had a, a good idea for you know a way to pivot and, and kind of make the shows a little bit more specific, if you will. So I think we're going to go on Fridays from now on, at least for the majority of the college basketball season. But Smalls, why don't you kind of walk through first how you're doing, but also kind of what we're going to do for, for maybe the near future here with the show, with the state of Create Your Shot, if you will. Yeah, first off, it's not a complete pivot. It's a power pivot. We're kicking out and we're going to replace and we're going to take a jump shot. That's what it is. That's a little nerd basketball. Like, I'm sure some coaches got really excited. Relax. I'm just kidding. Uh, the pivot isn't – listen, I get ideas all the time. I got ideas, you know me, every day. Uh, 10 times a day. But I threw this one to you. I think it's a decent one. Uh, we want to start adding a little more value. Obviously, the interviews are tough to get coaches during the season. Um, Long-form interviews were going an hour, hour, 20 minutes. So I think addressing specific topics within coaching and not just, you know, not just the X's and O's of basketball or the recruiting of basketball. How do you fundraise? Uh, how do you, you know, build team culture and uh, team communication and different things like that. How do you check classes? All that different stuff uh, we want to address in a topic format, but ask these individual coaches, maybe repeat guests like we have on today or, um, you know, new coaches that we can speak with as well. And I think that's really what's exciting about adding value to young assistant coaches or coaches looking for a fresh perspective. We can do that through this podcast. So that's about it, Tyler. I mean, like, thought I broke it down pretty well there, but who knows? I was doing a lot of um, har, aha, you know, different voices. That was an electric 90 seconds. Just really succinct, unlike me. Who's 90 seconds? Damn. I thought it was 45, but that's the way my brain whirls. Two times, baby. No, over over under on Bovada Sportsbook was, was definitely a minute and 20, so we safely went under. If it was me, it would have gone way over. But So we do have a repeat guest, uh, Mike McGarvey. Mike was on episode 54. He was an assistant at Colgate back then. Now he is entering his second year as the head coach of the Lycoming Warriors. I think, Mike, you kind of got that job like maybe two weeks after we interviewed you. I think our episode aired and then all of a sudden like the news broke maybe 10 days after. And we were kind of upset that we didn't get to break any news on the air. But that timeline is about right, right? Because you had the job before July. Yeah, it was. Uh, I started July first. So um, when we when we first talked, I think you had a question about. Oh yeah, I heard you've been interviewing out there, and um, so you probably had the inside scoop maybe before I even mentioned it to anybody. So you guys are on that pretty good. Um, but yeah, it was exciting. It was an exciting summer for me, and now I'm into my second season. So it's good to be back with you guys, and it's good to be here. At like home. Yeah, we're you guys are one and one. I uh, just actually uh, tournament this past weekend beat Penn State Schuylkill and then lost to your alma mater or Sinus. 
But I think kind of what we want to get into, Mike, is and, and I, I want to ask a couple different questions. I don't want to necessarily focus on one topic, but when you go from being a Division One assistant to a small college head coach, especially for a guy like you who was a very good small college basketball player, what kind of was what was your pitch to kind of get the Lycoming job? Like when that job comes open and you can see it, like who's telling you, like, hey, this is an opportunity, and and, and what's making you want to get it, and then how are you shaping yourself for that interview? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think with me, uh, I had a lot of responsibility with Coach Langle at Colgate, and our staff has uh, uh, had a lot of um, continuity. Uh, I was with Dave Klatsky for seven years, and Mike Jordan was six years, and uh, it was a very comfortable environment to continue to to grow as a coach, and we had a good team coming back. As you know, Colgate went to the NCAA tournament uh, the year that I left, and then you know, their preseason picked first again here this year. Um, so for me, it wasn't necessarily how good of a basketball opportunity it was going to be. I was looking for, is there an opportunity to be a head coach, to lead a team, uh, to do do something at a place that was, you know, pretty similar to where I've been. I was at her sinus college as a student athlete and then also as a, an assistant coach and then at Colgate. So, you know, I'm looking at small liberal arts colleges as a place that I'm pretty comfortable at. Um, and then I was looking for, you know, a tradition uh, in athletics and a commitment to athletics. And when the Lycoming opportunity came about, uh, I was pretty excited to learn that not only was it a pretty good liberal arts college, but also, you know, the, the guy that I replaced uh, in Guy Rancourt had won 180 games over 10 years and went to multiple NCAA tournaments. So um, for me and my family, it was a good place to kind of live and, and raise young kids. But at the same time, it was comfortable enough that um, you know, it's a place where, you know, I think you could be successful from an academic standpoint and an athletic standpoint. So that's where I started. And that's kind of how, how I was attracted to the position. I, I'm curious, and this is maybe a stupid question, maybe not. I, I kind of, you know, toe the line sometimes. But one question about Colgate before we kind of dive totally into your first year and moving into your second year, but guys coach all over the place, but you guys have been there a long time. They, they make the NCAA tournament last year. You and I actually were texting during the Tennessee game, not to like name drop that we sometimes text when we're not recording a podcast, but what's it, what's it like when, when you leave and, and you see a team that you worked so hard for to, to achieve that level of success? I mean, for a while, like they, they could have beaten Tennessee. I mean, it's unbelievable. Like they were playing great. Like they got really hot at the end of the year, but what, what was it like kind of to watch that from afar and, and know how much of an impact you made on that program? Um, exciting. You know, I, I think that's the, the biggest word is exciting. You get a chance to see the guys that maybe you had a, a hand in recruiting or coaching have a lot of success. You get to see the coaches that you put a lot of, you know, sweat equity in with, get the, the success that you think has been coming and, and that know that everybody kind of deserves. Um, so, you know, for, for me, uh, it didn't feel like I was not a part of it. I felt like I was watching every score and every game that I could and communicating with the staff and players and enjoying the process as much as as they were, um, even though I wasn't with them every day. Yeah, I think we need to, we definitely need to figure out a way to quantify sweat equity. That is the <laughs> ultimate term. <laughs> sweat equity app that, you know, you put in sweat. How much sweat did you put in? You got a 7% equity stake today. Oh, you know, you got 3%. I'd love to see that. I'm sure your buddy, Mike Jordan over at Colgate, that guy gets sweats all the time. So he would probably dominate, but maybe get a group together. That's so much of his Instagram is him like on the Stairmaster or running. Like I, he's got to be the most in shape assistant, division one assistant coach there is. He he works out more than anyone I've ever seen. I don't know. Mike, Mike, pretty in shape, Mike, aren't you? I try to be not as in shape <laughs> as Mike Jordan, but thank you for that. And I knew sweat equity was coming back to me as soon as I said it. I knew it. <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, <laughs> that is like a prime time my moment <laughs> to count. But I do want to get into early season here. And, you know, obviously we talked a little bit about the differences, what it's like to start out as a coach and all the stuff that you have to get together. And then all of a sudden the season's here and you're the head coach and you're making decisions. What's been the biggest change from year one, first two games to year two, first two games? Uh, just the patience that you have to have, you know, like, um, year one, I think you guys talk about winning the national championship and practice and those types of things is kind of like a, a funny way of putting it, but in year one, you, you don't really know what to expect. And, you know, you think that that practice has to be really good or that game has to be really good. And the reality of it is it's a long season. It's a, you know, it's a long 40 minutes in every game. <laughs> Even a 20-minute half is really long. I mean, you look at the Sinus game that we had on Saturday, and, you know, we were down 20 points in the second half, and all of a sudden we have it at four with five minutes left, and you're thinking, wow, this is a different game, and it's a different half. And um, So, you know, as, as a young head coach, you don't really know, you know, how patient you can be or need to be in order to kind of withstand some of those lulls throughout the season and um, maybe play your best basketball towards the end of the year. How, how comfortable I – mean, obviously, your comfortability and your players' comfortability with you has grown probably just throughout the year, uh, off-season, in-season, everything like that. How have you uh, essentially used that to your advantage in coaching in terms of the early season practices? You start on October 15th. How did that change you as a coach rather than last year you're trying to figure out what you're doing, who they are, and all the stuff that goes into it? Yeah, last year was recruiting roster, basically. You know, you have a group of inherited of inherited players, and it's kind of a recruiting mode from July, August, September until you start practicing. Um, you know, for, for what it's worth, you know, the players that, that I had, the majority of them didn't choose to come to Lycoming to play for, for me. Um, so, you know, building that relationship and recruiting that roster and giving them a sense of who I am and what I believe in, you know, that, that's what last year was. Uh, compared to this year, it was more of like we have a group now that, you know, it's pretty comfortable with what the vision is and what the expectations are. So how can we maximize that? And, um, and that's, you know, on the court and off the court, you know, from the moment the guys have been here, they've been pretty dedicated to, you know, our weight training program, um, our workout program, the way that they played competitive pickup was a little bit different than it's been in the past. Uh, you know, they've been over at my house a little bit more, like just different things of that nature that, um, you know, with a young group and an inexperienced group, you know, we're trying to become a team as quickly as we can. And uh, that was the biggest difference. It was not necessarily letting the players have a window into who I am, but more of how can we come together as a group um, and, and be the best team we can be. Hey, you mentioned competitive pickup. That, that's pretty interesting to me. How did you uh, change that culture in terms of competitive pickup, how they play? Do you have any influence? Do the coaches have any influence on that? Well, well, you're allowed to have a meeting about it. And, you know, one of the things that, that, you know, I was kind of urging them was, you know, we have a choice every single day. Do we want to be professional? Like if a recruit walks in, uh, what do we look like? If, you know, somebody is walking through the hallway, what do we sound like? You know, th those types of things. And then in addition, are we doing everything that we can while we're on the court? Because these guys are pretty dedicated to basketball. So while they're playing, are they putting themselves in position to treat it as practice-like or as game-like as they possibly can? in a preseason where the coaches don't have any on-court influence. Um, you know, so how do we keep score? You know, how do we call fouls? You know, those types of things. How do you pick teams? And, and if the players are kind of taking on to that and they're, they're treating it 
business-like, which, which our guys did, um, then I think they're maximizing those opportunities when they're out there. Mike, how did you decide after the season, I guess like once the season ends, you guys, I won't say your actual record, people can look it up online, but right around <laughs> 500. Uh, a- after the season ends, when you kind of look at your roster and you look at what you're doing moving forward, you're obviously going to recruit in April and July. It's Division Three. You're, you're getting guys late, whatever. But how did you kind of decide what you did well and what you didn't do well personally as, as the head coach in your first season? Um, a lot of, a lot of self, um, you know, you, you got to look in the mirror, I guess, for lack of a better term. I mean, I, I went through certain game decisions and watched game tape back. You know, I called around to people who are more experienced than me and asked them, how do you manage staff? How do you manage practice? What do you do in the off season? You know, do your guys play in summer leagues? Like all just different things that, you know, you start to, to make notes and pay attention to and say, can you be better at that? Um, you know, like I think I had three maybe sideline out of bounds plays over the course of the season under three seconds and we were over three. So now I'm like, okay, with my assistant coaches, can we look up some teams that have done that successfully? Can we figure out a way to maybe give our, our guys more of a chance to, to have that? Um, so, you know, I don't know if there's a, a textbook way to really self-evaluate and get better, but you know, the more you pay attention to some of the things that you do well or that you don't do so well, you start to come up with ideas and, um, you know, podcasts and books and those types of things give you some thoughts and then you kind of shape them towards, you know, what you think your program needs to advance. Um, so, you know, I, a lot of that was just trial and error and, you know, having discussions and throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. What What is your, to steal a word from Smalls, comfortability, which is one that we seem to use a lot. I'm not sure if it's a real word or not, but what is your comfort level in those situations? Like, you're, you're talking about side out of bounds. When you're in the game, you're not feeling nervous about calling a specific play, right, Mike? So how do you, you know, how do you make yourself feel, I guess, even more confident next season? Does that kind of make sense? Because you're out there you're using your head, you got the grease board or whatever. Are you drilling it in practice now a bunch more, a, a specific situation like that or a blob or like your offense to the point where you feel a lot better? Or do you need to feel that your guys are more confident for you to feel as confident as you can be? Both. You know, so yeah, I'm doing it more in practice. I'm paying attention to situations a little bit more. We're trying to find, you know, actions that will work in those situations that we think we'll have a good chance to do it. Um, but then it also comes down to trust. You know, when when you're in your second year, you have a little bit more trust with the group that's back and returning um, in terms of who do you trust in a certain moment to have the ball and make the right decision. Uh, in addition to that, you know, I think that where I made mistakes was a lot of uh, those those situations came down to me looking at one specific opportunity. So like it's a down screen and the guy's going to catch it and make a play as opposed to maybe something with a second option or a third option, uh, just in case that's defended really well. Um, you know, so I think it's both. All right, I'll jump in. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we're we're in mid-season form already. It's only November. Right. It's, what is it, November 15th? I thought you... I- I thought you were going. I don't know. I was looking up the definition of comfortability, and it's a noun, <laughs> by the way. Um, comfort, the condition of being comfortable. That's a little uh, expert thing. You just buy, you buy a lot of time. Uh, that's what I do. But uh, no, to actually ask a question about your summer program, uh, obviously not being able to interact with the guys like the Division One level and things like that. How did you put together you know, a summer program for your players, or can you do that at the Division Three level? And then how did you kind of evaluate that when they came back? Do you have quantifiable measures that you take a look at? Or is it kind of like, I know who put the work in, I know who didn't? 
Like how, how do you kind of regulate that? Yeah, the tricky part is the regulation. You can't really have any quantifiable data turned into you, um, you know, and, and monitored throughout, you know, the off season. Can I weigh a kid before he leaves and then be like, okay, you gained eight pounds? <laughs> well, uh, but, the, no? but, the, but the point is it doesn't matter. Like your assistant could, your assistant could look at every single pickup and see who's there and who's not. And you can't enforce any of that information, right? Like it just exactly. doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, and, but so the point is that it doesn't matter, but then it also, it, it, does, it does matter. matter. Yes. So, um, you know, so you try to do your best to, well, for me, I, I try to do my best to put simple kind of skill work drills into our practice over the course of the season, especially with the younger and experienced group. So that, you know, now they are collecting a library of different things that they can go and have a ball handling, have a passing, have a layup making, have a shooting, um, and have those types of drills that they can go and they can do it with themselves or with their high school coach or with, with family members, whatever. Um, and then it's just communication. Like when you check in with guys, how are they doing? You can get a sense early on. You know, if somebody's never in the gym when you pick up, the, when they pick up the phone, then, you know, they're maybe not working as hard as they need to be or whatever. So. Um, it's communication, it's trust, it's giving them an, an idea and a, a roadmap of some things that they can do. And then, um, you know, it's pretty evident once October 15th is if you're doing it, you're putting yourself in a great position. If you're not, then you're putting yourself in a poor position to, to earn, you know, minutes. That's actually a, that's a pretty good tip for guys who are waiting for calls from like specific coaches, like not even if you're a player, but like if you're just an assistant or like a, you know, a lower level guy and an admin type guy to just fake like you've been in the gym when somebody calls you yeah. like, oh man, I'm on the treadmill right now. I'll, I'll call you back. When yeah. You're really like sitting on the Instagram. couch. Like, yeah, it's good. <laughs> well, no, you just do, you do a ton of jumping jacks and then you do a somersault and then you call the coach back and you're like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you coach them on the treadmill and then you Instagram a gym. You got to have an arsenal of gym pictures and it's just Instagram, Twitter, Instagram, Twitter. Actually, this is, this is a true story. Mike, your, your old boss, Matt Langle was trying to get in touch with Smalls and I to get some sort of like information on Taylor Jenkins. And I, I blew off his first call and I was, I actually was, I was in the gym. So I blew off his first call. I really was in the gym. So I blew off his first call. I guess he called Smalls. Then he called me back because I was the one that had the contact info. So I picked up the phone and he was like, I had to call you twice, like for you to answer. And I was like, oh, I was in the gym. He goes, oh yeah, you need that. So don't pick up the phone while you're in the gym. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. What a dick, right? Like this is not a very, not a very nice guy. You know, he's calling (laughs) to ask for something, but make sure he gets the dig in before I give him the information that he he needs. It's bad, you know? Yeah. Matt Langle's a great man. Don't, don't say that. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't being, I wasn't radio. being negative. I, I think, you know, the tough love that he's always given the two of us smalls in terms of, you know, our, our physical fitness is always, that's actually been a positive thing. You know, he, he kind of was a big proponent of me, like running the bleachers at temple until he saw me almost die one day when I did. It. And he was like, maybe, maybe next time, like, take it easy. Maybe just do half the bleachers until you're ready to go. And I was like, oh, okay, he does care about me. This is good. You know? Yeah, I was going to say two things. Number one is that means he loves you if he's doing that. And the yep. second part is uh, he he also has a group message chat with uh, a couple people, another couple of his assistants. There's a bike, an exercise bike at Colgate that I happen to have here at Lycoming too. And I get a screenshot of his, you know, of his times and scores every now and then. And it's like, can you beat it? And I'm sitting there thinking like, eh, I could try, but I don't know if I can. I'm not going to send a message. <laughs> Like, no, I, I wonder if we could get I wonder if we could get Bovada odds on like how you know who the best spin you know who the best spin time would be from the Colgate staff that's an old Duke thing though right Mike like that is the old like G 
Jay Billis and Chris Collins and Bobby Hurley, like getting on the Stairmaster in like 1995 at Duke. Like that's gotta be where that came from. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I give all the credit to Matt Langle. I, I don't know if it goes back to the- So speaking of, speaking of bosses, it's your first year kind of, you know, this is your second year now as a head coach, like managing a staff. How did you feel you did as the head coach last year in, in terms of delegating responsibility, in terms of handing out tasks, in terms of recruiting? You know, how did you feel you did managing your assistant? Uh, not great. Uh, I, I didn't evaluate myself in a great way there. I, I think everything is so new and you're you're just trying to put so much time and effort into players. So there wasn't a lot of time to really help mentor, or have staff meetings and do some things like that. So, um, you know, this year, going into this year, I, I've made it a real you know, point of emphasis to try to meet with staff a little bit more, you know, add a little bit to our staff, delegate some more things, allow our guys to feel um, a a little bit more ownership in what we're doing on the court every day, connect with the players in really meaningful ways. So, you know, things that, you know, I just kind of overlooked as you're working pretty hard trying to figure out your first season, Um, but they they go a long way. And, um, you know, I, I think we're doing a better job of it now. I think our team is in a better place. How have you developed? I'm always interested, especially first year coaches going to second, third, fourth. Substitution patterns are a serious topic in basketball. It's usually like, you know, you have Villanova, right? Villanova, everyone says they sub a lot early. They have like nine, 10 guy rotation, and then they whittle it down to seven or eight. Did you kind of feel like you did that last year? Or you were able to do that? What's your style with substitution patterns, and has it developed or changed uh, this year? Uh, the numbers last year, we had a smaller roster size, so the numbers didn't really allow me to, to do that as much as maybe I would have uh, if we had some more competition. This year's roster, although young, um, adds a little bit more depth. And what I'm learning is that you know when you have depth, it, it's something that you can't really force. Um, as much as you would want to play everybody 25 minutes a game, you can't really fit it in that way. So when with depth, you have to figure out uh, who are you playing against and who plays well with each other. And I think that's something that you got to spend a lot of time really analyzing because, you know, you might have somebody who's really talented, uh, but maybe they're lacking in some size. Well, you play against a guy that is, is you know, has a, has a sizable advantage, then, you know, maybe it's not that guy's turn, it's the next guy's turn. And, um, you know, the hard part with that, or I would say the most um, – the biggest thing to, to consider for me right now is making sure that young players understand that, that it's not necessarily putting the five best players out on the court. It's putting the five guys out on the court that fit well with each other or fit well against the opponents that they're going at. And I think that's an ongoing thing. You know, I mentioned earlier, patience in a season versus patience in a game. Like, you know, it's next week could be different than this week and next month is going to certainly be different than this month. And what we look like at February might be a completely different you know, substitution pattern than November. Um, so you just constantly evaluating and, and analyzing if you're doing the right things. Mike, how quick do you, wh- you wait, hold on. Sorry, Smalls, I'm gonna cut you off. When you say be patient in a game versus in season, how quickly are you willing in within the realm of the season to scrap something and to say like, okay, you know, maybe we wanted to play 10 guys, but I just can't do it. Or we want to play seven guys, but I have to play eight guys. Like what yeah. type of sample do you need to see? E- even, you know, within your offense, your defense as well. Like I remember at Charleston, we were trying to run, you know, the Fresno kind of like amoeba and we stuck with it for like six games and we just got absolutely shredded and eventually just never got used again, which, and, and he kept trying to use it in future seasons and eventually was able to implement it, but it just wasn't something he could do his first year. 
but how, what type of sample do you need to see for something like that before you just say like, you know what, I wanted to do this, but it's just not going to work with our personnel or, or this just isn't going to work with what we've had, what we have working right now. Uh, are you talking about scheme or are you talking about personnel? Substitute I, I think, I, I think, I think more scheme because I think personnel, like it's almost, almost always like next man up. Like it's really hard. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to put more words in your mouth. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, no. I, I, there are two good questions. I think on the personnel side, you know, injuries and those types of things kind of naturally shake itself out next man up, but to your point, uh, but even like s- Saturday when we played her sinus, I, I anticipated giving some players a little bit more run. But when you go on like an eight-minute 13-0 run, you're not going to make those changes. And then all of a sudden, somebody's minutes are shrunk and it had nothing to do really with them. It's just kind of the right. flow of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to kind of scheme, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at that now. Like I, I went into this season thinking that we would play a little bit more zone than we do. And, you know, our guards guard the ball pretty well. We've got a big guy who cleans up in the back. We've got forwards that are pretty, you know, athletic. And uh, maybe zone right now isn't the best thing for us. And uh, you know, you, like you said, you scrapped the amoeba thing and I'm leaning towards playing a little bit more man than over the summer I thought I might be doing. So you just, you know, you got to be confident in, in the group. And I don't know if there's a timeline on it. You can't force something that might not be the best thing for your team to be successful. You just got to have a little bit of conviction to make those decisions. Yeah, I think coaches get a lot of like heat for being stubborn. But at the end of the day, if like that's what you're the most confident in, it's really, really hard, I think especially as you've been coaching for years and years and years to just be like, you know what? Like I, I've talked about this before, like the Bob Huggins thing, like going from, you know, like a tough man to man team. And then all of a sudden just be like pedal to the metal. Like we're going to press every single game and have three types of presses. Like to see a guy kind of reinvent his defensive scheme after winning 700 games, like that deserves so much more credit. I think he probably gets a lot of credit, honestly, but like you don't see guys do that that often. And that's why I was curious, like, when you come in with a scheme, you know, how apt are you to be like, you know what, this just isn't working or this is that I haven't seen what I need to see out of it. So I'm going to go back to what I think is going to work. And I, cause I think that's the, the tightrope you kind of walk as a head coach, right? Cause you're the one that ultimately ends up having to answer the questions about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and every team changes every year too, to your point, like what the personnel does, the strengths and weaknesses of that team, you know, going into a season could be very different. Um, but you know, you just got to be kind of agile, you know, and, and, you know, I have a pulse on your team and watch a lot of tape and see what's working and what's not working. And, and then I said, I can have conviction because, you know, what you think is going on or what you think is probably the best thing for your team in that moment most likely is. And you got to trust your gut and, and go with it. All right. We're, I'm going to, you know, take it back a little bit. Big picture. We're covering a lot of topics right now, but I want to ask you about scheduling from a head coaching perspective and how that works maybe specifically at your school at that level and how you're looking at scheduling for your specific team. What's your philosophy on that? Uh, good question. I, I don't know if I have a strong philosophy on it. But you're lear- you're like developing it, I guess. Like, do I, do I schedule some cupcake? Do I not? And I hate to use the word cupcake, but. No, no, no. And, and that's, that's probably the, the lesser part of what I evaluate, uh, you know, timing of things like when are our finals, when are our breaks, you know, who can we play at certain times? You know, our team traditionally hasn't spent a whole lot of time traveling. Um, so, for instance, a year ago uh, in my first season, we had three home tournaments. Two of those tournaments were over breaks, like right before Christmas and then after Christmas. Well, I, I would like to have a little bit more experiential um, aspects to what we're doing on the court. So. This year, we're going to go to Daytona, and we're going to play two games in Daytona and 
have a, a little trip in Orlando after Christmas. So some of those things go into it. And then you know, with our league, you know, we've got we've got nine teams. So you're playing 16 league games. You really only have if you have an opening tournament, you've got two games there. You're at 18. You go away, you're at 20. So you've got you know five maybe home and homes that you're looking at every year. Um, you know, so for us specifically, like homing is it's not as uh, uh, time consuming or you don't have to have a really strong philosophy. You just got to make sure that some of the things fit, you know, travel, regional opponents, those types of things. And then how good is your team? You know, you want to go challenge yourself sometimes. Having her sign us in, who's third, you know, in their uh, conference preseason poll to Johns Hopkins and Swarthmore. Like that was good for our young team to see that this is what a regional opponent looks like. Um, that's pretty good. When we go to Orlando, we'll probably see a national level team play as well. Uh, and then next year, as we grow as a as a team, like maybe we'll try to schedule an opponent that is in the top 25 and, and say this is what that looks like and can we get there. Um, yeah, so that's uh, – I said I don't really have a philosophy, but that's kind of what my mindset is, you know. I mean, that sounded like a good philosophy to me. I, I think, yeah, Smalls, Smalls your, your questions tonight have been, like, totally dynamite. Like, I love the fact that you getting back into college coaching has kind of made you like, all right, I need to learn some of these things. Is that, <laughs> is that fair to say? I mean, it's not really I have to learn anything. Listen, I'm not getting <laughs> ahead of myself here, but I think I, I, the topics interest me, like those different elements that we don't think about, or we feel like, not that they're taboo, but like people don't feel comfortable asking those questions because everyone thinks, oh, they should know that answer. Like, I'm curious about this stuff because I've never really experienced it. So I think everyone has different opinions and options on it. So the nitty gritty stuff we don't talk about in basketball, but you have to do wear different hats. That's what really interests me. So I appreciate that, Tyler. I mean, you know, I just pulled up my coat. You know, my shoulders are high. I feel good. <laughs> Thanks, man. Uh, I, I just, I do feel, I do feel like, when it's your first year as a head coach and we just keep harping on this and now you're into your second year, but we talk about the whole like winning the national championship. And I think it's fair to say that like expectations are going to be, you know, like, all right, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. What are some of the things that kind of fell by the wayside last year that you were like, you know what, I just can't do this this year. Or like, these are some things I wanted to focus on. And maybe you just didn't have the time to focus on them that you do want to focus on this year. Wow. Heavy hitting question. Um, uh, we mentioned staff. I, I think that was that was the most important thing as I analyzed the season to spend a little bit more time with staff to be better prepared for practices as a unit. Um, you know, those types of things. Uh, relationships with players was another one. Like you're going full speed. You're in a new atmosphere and environment. And, you know, so much of how I coach is based on the trust and the relationship that you have with players. Um, so having a full recruiting cycle with a big group of freshmen really helped that. Um, but that was a transition that, you know, it was hard to do when you get a job in, uh, in the beginning of July and then classes start, you know, at the end of August. Um, so my, my second year, I really wanted to focus on that. And, and then, you know, the third part of it was uh, I want to make sure that the players know that, you know, when we go into practice that we're doing it for a purpose. You know, last year there was so much teaching that had to get done with just a different style of play. But now that the that the style of play is in there, like we can be pretty specific in what we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, so you you know, I, I would just put those three things down as you know the most important elements of, of what you're talking. All right, I gotta ask you. I mean, we're at the end here. Little League World Series. 
it happens. What was that like? What what does that do for the community, number one? And how is that as an experience, just living in it and kind of, you know, breathing it in, in your second year? Yeah, I've never been before. Um, before what the hell? Man? And, you know, you watch it on TV and you don't really get the sense of what it does for your community. That's the first thing. So there's, you know, 30, about 30,000 people um, in, in Williamsport and the surrounding area. And then, you know, the Little League World Series comes in and there's a parade and there's international teams and there's people coming from all over the country. It's uh, it's a really special, you know, seven to 10 days. Um, and then you see the kids and, you know, I was able to bump into some kids downtown. And, like I'm asking them for their autograph with my daughter because, you know, it's such a cool thing. They've got their yeah. and those types. So, you know, for for uh, for the community, it's pretty cool to see. For those kids, it's an amazing opportunity and experience to be treated like professional players. And then you got the MLB Classic that comes in, and it's like, you know, <laughs> it's incredible. Um, so, and, and that's usually right around the time where our students come back. So for the college, it's awesome. Uh, I think from a recruiting standpoint, it, it adds a little bit of, you know, global recognition to, for lack of a better term, for, you know, people that might be considering a small liberal arts college that uh, otherwise they might not have heard of the town. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And then you know, I've got a three-year-old and a seven-month-old. So for us to go over and sit on the lawn on a afternoon and watch, you know, Little League Baseball is pretty cool. That's the wholesome, like, beautiful answer that I was looking for. But the only problem I have is I think about guys like Tyler Laurie who's sitting there on Bovada and he's like, hey, I got a run and a half Japan versus Milford, Connecticut. What do you think? It's totally crazy. Like you should not be able to. They gamble. don't have that, do they? No, they yes, have... you can. Yes, you can. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I Bovada's got was... it all. So, so not, not, just, not, just Bov- not just Bovada, but you can actually like Vegas, like they'll put games on in sports books and stuff, which is like, it's just like so insane because it's supposed to, like you said, it's supposed to be this very pure, like wholesome thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I'm thinking about you talking about sitting on the lawn and, you know, like in a couple of years, we're going to see like Mike McGarvey and his daughter, like going down the hill throw on like the, the cardboard pitch. box. Like, yeah, like, I'm. And, like, and are you going to throw out the first pitch? I think <laughs> yeah. That's a legitimate question. I mean, that should be a requirement. Well, they, they've got like they've got like 100 games over that like 10 day period. So there's a chance you could throw out the first pitch for one. Yeah, of the they, they might throw me on the secondary field and <laughs> on the first day. You get to throw out the first pitch for like uh Germany against like, you know, I don't. It'd be like Germany against like uh, Canada. Mexico. The, yeah, no, no, yeah. not Mexico's too good. Mexico's too good. It's 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 well, like they're going to play. Those, work, those kids work too hard to just have me out there. <laughs> somebody else. All right, one one uh, one last question for me. I I do want to give you an opportunity. Just we have talked a lot about fundraising, but you guys do run a couple camps and elite camps, and I wanted to give you a chance just to kind of talk about what if you do know kind of what that schedule is going to be this year or where guys can go to get information in case they are interested. We do have a lot of listeners from the, you know, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. They're all kind of within distance. If they were interested in like a team camp, I know you guys do a big one. So I wanted to give you a chance after we sort of bantered about the little world series to plug some stuff that you guys do. Yeah. Our, our, our team camp that we have is, um, is, is for younger kids. So fourth grade to eighth grade and, and teams come in from all over the place, which is pretty neat. And, um, uh, you know, stay within a fourth grade bracket or a fifth grade bracket all the way through eighth grade. We, we haven't had an elite camp yet. Um, I think that's something that I would really hope to do. Uh, but our webpage has a bunch of, of the camps. So all you have to do is go on to uh, our athletics page. And then um, when you see when you see the link there and we can put it on the on the uh, on your site, too. 
um, you know, it's just right there. It's got all the sports camps and it's got the basketball camps and those types of things. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll put it in the info tab for this podcast just so people know you, you actually cannot get lines on the team camp games on Bovada. So that is a really wholesome <laughs> event. You guys should check that out. But I will put that in the info so you can click on the info tab either in iTunes or on Apple Pods. And that link uh, should be there. Assuming that I did this, this is this is this is a problem for future me. So I'll, I'll figure this out. But you can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike McGarvey, just like it sounds, but uh, an underscore at the end. And then you can also follow Lycoming Basketball at at Lycoming Hoops. So you can check out what their schedule is. I know you guys do play this Saturday. You have a couple home games before you, like you said, you enter conference play and then you go down to Daytona uh, right after Christmas. So we are super excited to kind of see how this second season goes. The MAC is, I mean, really good again this year. So a MAC Commonwealth, right? Are you guys or MAC? Mac yeah, we're, we're in the Commonwealth for one more, and then we switch over to the Freedom with conference realignment. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just hitting everywhere. It's just totally hitting everywhere. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Create Your Shot, Instagram Create Your Shot Pod, Facebook We Are Create Your Shot, and then Create Your Shot at gmail.com. And we appreciate everybody who listens. If you like what you hear, please like, rate, subscribe, you know. And then, like I said, go in the info tab and check out uh, all the information for like coming hoops. But Mike, really happy to catch back up with you and really excited for what you do uh, this season. And we will talk soon, buddy. Thanks. You guys are the best. See you soon.